Welcome to the Career Pivot Podcast. I'm Beck Sands and I help people pivot into careers or businesses that they love. This podcast is an interview series with people that have successfully pivoted their careers so that you can feel inspired to do the same. I believe that everyone deserves to do work that they love and to feel fulfilled, driven, and know that they are making a positive impact on the world. Now, let's get into the episode. Today, I'm interviewing Victoria Russell, a transformative life coach who works with women recovering from trauma and addiction. Victoria began her career in daytime television, and after the landscape changed, Victoria used her experience in the entertainment industry and her love for women's causes to carve a new and successful path in non-profit fundraising that lasted a decade. Before a desire for autonomy in her life brought Victoria to life coaching and yoga teaching and the pursuit of a master's degree in psychology. Now let's dive into the interview. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so pleased to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. And so you're dialing in all the way from Oakland, California. Is that right? Yes, all the way from the Bay Area. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, welcome. Um, So let's dive into the interview. Super excited to chat with you because I know that you're a fellow um, Beautiful You Coaching Academy coach. We both went through the program. Yes, it was a wonderful experience for me. I loved it. Life-changing. Yeah, me too. Me too. I absolutely adored the course. Um, And, you know, I think one of the best things about it was the community, you know, and so many amazing women uh, that went through it. Yes. I mean, you know, I am partial to my class, of course, uh, but everybody is wonderful that I have ever met that's a biker coach. But I really have made some wonderful friendships and, and gotten to connect with some incredible, incredible coaches. Yeah, me too. Me too. And the best part about it is that, you know, even if you didn't actually go through the same course with them, it's like we can all still be connected, you know, virtually on social media and at all the events and things like that. So it's a really cool, really cool program. Absolutely. So tell us, so tell us, Victoria, a little bit about, um, about yourself and what you're doing currently. Well, I am uh, still coaching, and uh, but I recently have decided to think about pursuing a degree in psychology, a master's in psychology with the pursuit of becoming a therapist. Um, it has been uh, a dream of mine that's probably been hanging around in the back of my mind forever and uh, is something that I've been doing forever in terms of how I support friends and family. And so um, this time of COVID, this, this time of, of quarantine has uh, given me an opportunity to really focus in and rediscover my love for uh, talking to people in conversations that are um, like coaching, but in a deeper, deeper way. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love that. I think, you know, because a lot of people are kind of like, oh, what's the difference between coaching and, um, you know, and psychology, yeah. I guess. And like, how, you know, how would you sort of frame that? Yeah, well, I personally love coaching and will never not coach. So I want to be clear about that. Um, and I have a personal philosophy that I think I should always be being coached. And I try to always have a coaching client that I'm working with even if that's a pro bono client. So um, the, the difference that I find is that there's usually um, a goal with coaching that is achievable or um, 
you know, move, you can move forward within a reasonable uh, frame of time, you know, a six week session, a 12 week session, we can move through that goal. We can identify it and move through it. And therapy, sometimes the things that are coming up need a lot more time to unpack, a lot more time to discover, and a lot uh, of deeper work. And that isn't really even appropriate for coaching. You know, as wonderful as coaching is, sometimes we have to dig a little bit deeper and get to the root. And so I think that that's just the main difference is probably time and, and the severity of, you know, mental health issues and things like that that are not appropriate for coaching. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of think of it like coaching is looking forward and, and you know, therapy and psychology is like looking back. That's really a perfect way to describe it. That really is. You hit the nail on the head with that, I think. <laughs> I, I think I think Julie Parker mentioned that. I don't think it was definitely not mine. <laughs> uh, it just stuck in my head, I think, because it was just such a simple definition. I was like, yeah, that's actually it. <laughs> it's really um, perfect. And I'm not I'm not surprised that Julie came up with that, um, that. <laughs> very succinct way to describe that. Yeah. So where were you before you started coaching um, in your career before you pivoted? And what was Mm -hmm. the catalyst that made you want to go into coaching? Well, I used to work in television. And I think that people always, I don't know why people always laugh when I tell them this, um, but I knew from a very young age that I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of relationships with people. And at the time that looked like writing novels or writing for television. And I still love what really makes people tick in relationship with each other. That's something that is infinitely fascinating to me. And I think uh, is why I'm attracted to coaching. And uh, so I decided to pursue that after the landscape of daytime television really started to change. Um, Here in the United States, we used to have 15 soap operas on the air at the same time. And with, uh, you know, technology changing, the cost of television production changing, um, soap operas began to leave the landscape of of daytime TV and were replaced with talk shows and, and cooking shows that are a lot less expensive to produce. And so I found myself out of a job in the very literal sense of the word, but also I was not, I didn't have a lot of prospects in front of me to continue doing what I was doing. And so Um, I really sort of reluctantly stepped one foot tangentially in the uh, entertainment industry and started working in representation. So representing artists and below the line talent like makeup artists and editors and costume designers. And that really wasn't soul fulfilling work, you know, and it's exhausting. It's around the clock. It's never ending. There's always a show to produce. And so really it was exhaustion on a physical level and on a deep soul level that really caused me to pivot and take more seriously what I really wanted to do, which was explore that beautiful connection between humans and what really makes us tick and, and really what makes us go after what we want. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I think a lot of people are sort of going through that and particularly with COVID right now with a lot of jobs being made redundant and the workforce changing very rapidly. Uh, I think that's kind of just hitting Australia now. Um, And, you know, a lot of jobs are sort of, you know, people are thinking, okay, well, maybe there's not a future in this for me. And they're, you know, they're in Mm -hmm. a position where they need to rethink 
everything. Um, how would, how did it make you feel like when you were in that position and then how did you, I guess, get out of, you know, get out of that kind of mindset of like, oh no, this is happening to actually taking action and deciding what you wanted to do? Well, it happened to me in the same spot that I'm sitting in right now. So it's really interesting that you asked that question. Um, I have a lemon tree right outside my window and I often sit by the window and look out and meditate. And I was doing that then. I was doing that just before our podcast recording today. And it really did. I really did have a thunderbolt moment where it just sort of occurred to me, you know, you could really do this instead of that. and. Um, and so when I decided to become a coach, I actually was sitting in the same spot. I'm just realizing that right now. Um, and I spoke to Julie in the same spot that I'm sitting in right now. And, uh, and then when I began to think about um, becoming a therapist, I was also looking at the same lemon tree. So maybe there's something about that. I don't know, in the universe with me and lemons, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was just being open to it. I think that, um, meditation for me has given me a great gift. Um, it allows me to focus. It calms me down. It, it does all those wonderful scientific things for you, like leveling out your blood pressure, but it also gives you a, a moment to let all of those surface thoughts that want to come up and bother us all the time, get quiet, you know? And when we do that on a regular basis, when I do that on a regular basis, I get very clear about what I want. And it just came to me. Yes, I have been thinking so much about restarting my regular meditation practice. I it's been a bit patchy lately uh, this year, and I used to understandable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I used to religiously meditate like every day for at least you know not not a huge period of time, but at least ten minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that, yeah, it's so grounding, but it's kind of a cumulative effect. Like you have to kind of consistently do it to get those full, um, full effects. And you've, you've yeah. really re-inspired me now. I have, I must, I must do it. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. It's, meditation is actually part of uh, the way that I coach. And so if one works with me, that, that is just part of what we do together. And I have. Um, just seen the wonderful, powerful, positive effects of meditation over and over and over again. So in my mind, it's just an absolutely undisputed tool that's uh, going to be successful for people who are coaching. Yeah. And is there any particular type of meditation that you prefer? So I practice a style of meditation that's called Vedic life meditation. And it's uh, similar to transcendental meditation in that there's a mantra that you're given. My meditation teacher gave me a particular mantra. And so there's a certain uh, style in which, uh, you know, we sit for a certain period of time, we have our prescribed mantra. And then um, as you continue to study in that tradition, there are additional layers, additional um, mantras and Sanskrit sayings that will get added on to your education, but those are passed down teacher to student. That's fantastic. I'm going to check that out because I just I just kind of use like the Calm app and either do a guided meditation. I love the Calm app. <laughs> I have good. no qualms with a good guided meditation or a good, you know, piano scene or, or a waterfall. I think any way that you come to your meditation practice is the right way. 
Yeah. And like, for me, I'm I'm like, get competitive with myself. So it was like, you know, you can check it off every day and then it shows you how many days you've consistently meditated in a row. So like once you're on the streak, you're like, okay, I'm not breaking my streak. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Any tool you need to get yourself to that spot in that chair or on that mat, I say go for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good starting place anyway, but I definitely want to check out that Vedic life meditation. So I'm going to, I'm going to look that up. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, Okay. That's fantastic. And so, um, so, you know, you, you mentioned that you were looking out over your gorgeous uh, lemon tree, which I would love to have yes. a lemon tree. That sounds divine. Um, but how, <laughs> and, and that helped you to get uh, clarity, you know, on what you, yes. on, on sort of your next step. Um, I guess, how did you take the plunge to pivot then uh, mm-hmm. into, into coaching? Like what was the, the first step? Once you decided, what was the first step? that you took, uh, both in terms of, you know, I guess the beautiful life coaching Academy course, and then, uh, and then in terms of your business as well. Yeah. So I'm a very risk averse person and I do not think that's a bad thing. And it was actually my coaching, uh, with another BICA graduate named Christine Roselle, um, who uh, helped me discover that about myself and give a name to that. She also helped me discover that phrase, which I think has probably been bandied about a lot these days, but was true then and now, um, which is multi-passionate, right? Interested deeply in more than one thing. Yes. And so when I got voc- yeah, and so when I got vocabulary words for that and the description for that and and realized that it's not just me loving lots of things and feeling crazy, when I really got uh, you know, that definition, then I began to feel not so alone and not so uh, crazy. And so I actually began, like I do anything when I'm making the pivot with interviewing other people. So I said, let me look around in the world at who's doing what I think I want to do well, who's doing it great, who is doing it the way that I would want to do it. And I talked to them. I told them the truth of how I was feeling. And I asked them to put aside some time on their calendar for me to give me an hour. and tell me their story, tell me how they got there and what they did, sort of like your wonderful podcast that we're talking on right now. And, uh, and I was so surprised how wonderfully open everybody was to having that conversation and, and everybody was just so generous with their time. And so I really just began to figure out what those pitfalls were for other people. What did they wish they had known And what would they never do again? And what would they make sure they did if they had to do it over again? And so really informing myself, forewarned is forearmed, is a big policy of mine. It's a big mantra of mine. Once I had that information, I was able to take a deep breath and go, okay, not this way, but that way, right? Not this path, but that path. Uh, And I really set realistic timeframes for myself. You know, if somebody says something's going to take a year, okay, I'm not going to try to do it in less than a year, you know? Um, and so that's, that's how I did it tangibly, did the research, had the conversations. That's such a great idea. I think that's something actionable that people can take right now. And, you know, if there's something that they've been thinking of trying, they can just reach out to a few people that are in that field and sort of, you know, people are always willing to help. I find, um, you know, people love helping out, particularly when it's sharing their own knowledge, because it's so rewarding. Yes, it is. And, you know, I think people want to, you know, sometimes 
we can feel fear that, you know, if we're not coming to them as a client, would they be willing to share their hard work? And, you know, they did it the hard way and they want us to also. And that's never been the case for me. I've always been met with generosity and willingness to share. Totally. And, you know, and that's the thing that, um, you know, for those people, I guess, like if you're a coach or something like that, and then someone comes and talks to you and about what you do, like they could also be a potential client down the track. Right. So it's like, it's worth being so generous and also rewarding. So that's um, right. Yeah. That's, that's a brilliant idea. I love that. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, when starting your, your coaching business, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I guess yeah. launching things? Yes. So uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And that yes. is something that you will, right? Yes. And you will hear me say that to every client that I coach, everybody that I work with um, on my team as well in my other career in nonprofit fundraising comparison is the thief of joy. And so if you're looking at how somebody else is doing something, it, you will not enjoy that. It will not be fun. But that's what I did. And that was the biggest challenge for me. Um, and it is still a challenge. And I have to remind myself that uh, my program and my story and my history and my style of coaching is not like anybody else's. And that's perfect. And so that is something that I just have to continue to remind myself of. It's wonderful to uh, witness our fellow coaches and their successes. It's wonderful to ask them how they got there and to take similar steps, but to look for the same results or emulate their work in any kind of way that's copying is just, you know, asking for disaster. (laughs) And so um, I think that for me, one of the biggest challenges was comparison And also, you know, to be completely honest, this and this is something that is really at the forefront of the conversation for the world right now, is there are a significantly fewer number of African-American coaches, coaches of color um, on the landscape, you know, available. And there weren't, um, there weren't a lot when I graduated from BICA. And uh, there are a few more now that are that are making their way onto the scene. And I, for one, am so happy that Julie is so Julie Parker is so aligned with um, promoting and putting forward coaches of color. Um, she really understands what that struggle is, and she's been a wonderful ally. And so it was a challenge because I didn't have any examples to look at that looked like me physically. And I didn't have a lot of clients that looked like me that wanted to work with me. And I think that that's just because, you know, coaching, the the landscape of coaching, you really don't see a lot in communities of color as a solution to a problem. You know, mm-hmm. there's traditional traditional therapy that everybody knows about. There's talking to girlfriends and mothers and sisters in a counseling way. But um, the cost of coaching has been prohibitive for communities of color for a long time. And uh, that's not to disparage the world of coaching and what it costs. I think that our our fees are valid and we should charge according to our skill. But uh, the reality is that when something is so unfamiliar, it's hard to take a financial risk. It's hard to take a chance when you're so unfamiliar with that modality as a solution to your problem. And if you don't have the money to begin with, right? Yeah. So those were, 
those were the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully things are changing now. Um, I think that there's, you know, a lot more awareness um, and a lot more conversation uh, right now about anti-racism. I have to say, I am very, you know, I guess growing up in a in Australia, you know, I've been very ignorant of the issue and trying to sort of educate myself a little bit more on it. Um, yeah. And it and it's been one of those things where I think if you're not exposed to it, then you're just not aware. So Absolutely. I'm glad. Yeah, so I'm glad that it's sort of come up on the radar a little bit more. Do you like? Do you sort of work with? Um, so do you work on a pro bono basis at all with? with sort of women of colour or, you know, how Mm -hmm. do you sort of address that? Absolutely. Well, yes, I do uh, offer pro bono um, spots to women of colour, but I also offer pro bono spots to anyone who might be in a financial situation where that's needed. Um, I have, as I said, um, you know, for those reasons of it being um, sort of unfamiliar for people of colour to seek out coaching as a modality, I offer pro bono sessions because I want to increase that familiarity as well, you know, and often a free series will lead to a paid series later on after people live through the experience of coaching and sort of get their sea legs with it and then begin to understand for themselves how valuable it is. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that, and I think that's true, you know, across uh, like for everyone, you know, for all sectors as yeah. well, that people, if they're not familiar with the benefits, um, they're, you know, they're not that willing to, I guess, invest in it. Um, so it right. is, yeah, it is showing the benefits and highlighting the benefits and, and how that can support them. I was just going to say, what are the best things about working for yourself and I guess about having a business? Mm. Yes, the best thing is the autonomy. And that word autonomy was my word of the year for the last two years. And so I figured that I better start paying attention to that and pursuing paths that were going to bring that to fruition in my life, you know? And so being able to schedule myself, being able to say yes or no to a client um, and the freedom, most importantly, to pursue that which is most deeply interesting to me. I think that that is a real gift of working for yourself. Um, Someone once said to me that curiosity is a luxury of the privileged, and I don't really believe that, but I do think that the pursuit of that curiosity is definitely a luxury, and I really like to indulge in that. Yes, I love the autonomy as well, and just having that freedom. Um, It's actually my word for the year, for 2020. (laughs) Love it, love it. That's a great word. Yeah. And it's freedom, you know, not just, I think, of what you do, um, but it's freedom of who you surround yourself with as well. Um, So, you know, the people that you, that you work with, the clients that you work with. um, And I think moving into, you know, for me, moving into my own business and moving into the coaching world from corporate, because I was in corporate for 12 years uh, before this. And for me, it's like just being, you know, surrounded by like-minded people and, uh, people that are, you know, wanting to do things to change the world has just been so exciting. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's definitely one of the biggest things. So what, uh, 
what are your top three recommendations for people if they're in a, a role or a career that they've worked hard to build um, and now they feel it's not quite right for them or they've been, you know, they need to leave due to conditions outside of their control like COVID um, mm-hmm. or a changing work environment? What do you think like the three things that they could do next to find um, clarity and to pivot their career? So I would say that the first thing is to admit if something is coming up for you and staying up for you, that you should listen to it, right? If you keep thinking about it or when you get quiet, that's the first thing that you think about or that you want to do. Listen to that and accept that. Begin a meditation practice is step two. That's the second thing that I would recommend. Um, And then the third thing that I would recommend is to talk to other people about it and talk to them a lot. You know, when you start adding people to your circle who are doing what you want to do or just who feel the way you want to feel, but they're in a totally different career, that's great because the people that are around us, um, we begin to reflect our own circle, right? So I think if you want to feel better and you want to feel great about your career, look to the people in your life who already have that and talk to them more. Yeah, I love those three. And also because, you know, we're the top, we're, what's that saying um, about we're like, we become like the five people that we spend the most time with? Uh-huh. Which yeah. is really scary when you think like if you're in a job that you don't like with, you know, potentially surrounded by people that aren't really aligned with you um, and that you become like, you know, the five people that you're around, it's like, oh, that's a bit scary. It is. It is a very scary notion. And, you know, I mean, I have spent 10 years in nonprofit fundraising. That was one of my other pivots that I did from television into nonprofit fundraising. And when you start even saying that word not for profit over and over again, it sort of plants a little bit of a seed in your brain about not earning or under earning or devaluing. And so for me, it was so helpful to be around people who had a prosperous mentality, regardless of what the size of their paycheck was, and regardless of how many kinds of jobs or how many different hats, because we as women, we have to wear a lot of different hats as coaches. We have to be the marketer, we have to be the financier, we have to be the coach um, as well. And so it's okay to have a lot of different hats and it's okay to be busy doing a lot of different things, but to be around people whose energy will uplift you is really the way to go. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) So what would you say to someone who, um, who's been sitting on the fence for a while and maybe they're kind of comfortable, uh, or, you know, they feel okay, but they know that they're not doing what lights them up they know that they're not quite uh where they want to be um what -hmm. would you say to that person well first I would say I'm very familiar with that situation so you're not alone (laughs) yeah um but yeah what I would say is to pick a deadline to take even the tiniest step and stick to it because it sends a little message to your brain that you're listening first of all to that inner intuition and that you're going to move towards that even if it's not as fast as your inner self might want you to go. Maybe there's all sorts of uh, criteria for why you can't just make a sudden leap, you know, children, responsibilities, mortgages. Um, So pick a deadline to take even the tiniest step, like uh, get that book and read it or have one conversation with one person that's a professional in the field that you want to go into or follow 
five coaches on social media, you know, take 10 minutes and give focused attention to that pursuit and to do that often, right? Do that once or twice a week so that you're sending that message to yourself that you are moving forward, that you're not sitting still. Yes. I love that. So Victoria, what's one book that has made a massive impact for you in relation to finding and pursuing your passion? Hmm. I am very happy that you asked this question because I was an English rhetoric major. And so I was prepared at first to jump off with some, you know, classical title, but I will actually give you a modern day example. And that book is called Educated and it's by Tara Westover. And it is the most riveting thing that I've read in a long, long while. I mean, talk about, you know, pursuit of your goals against all odds. So I won't give away the book, but it is a memoir. And uh, the author was raised by Mormon fundamentalist parents in uh, Idaho. And they did not publicly educate her. She never went to school, but she overcame the mental and physical abuse and went on to get a master's degree from Harvard and then a doctorate from Cambridge in London. And so absolutely every roadblock was in her way, including several near-death experiences, and she overcame it all. And uh, I could not put it down. And I also wanted to throw it across the room. And so it lit a fire under me for sure um, that uh, there's absolutely no excuse if she can go from Idaho to Cambridge with no public education that I could, you know, get up and do what I needed to do as well. Wow. That sounds so inspiring. I'm going to check that out as well and add that to my reading list. Um, Just another, sorry, this is probably left to feel, but just um, another question. What are some books that we can read um, on anti-racism? What would you recommend? I would definitely recommend White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. And that is Um, a wonderful book. It's a wonderful tool that's been being used um, in a lot of circles. And I think that um, another question that I get often um, from very well-meaning white people is, what can I read and what can I do? And I think that looking to people of color to supply those reading lists and supply that education is a misstep. And I think that talking to white people who are further along the line you know, further along in their own education and experience is really the best first initial conversations that people can have if they're curious about how they can go deeper and how they can do better work. Certainly that it's, I'm not saying that it's never cool to ask a person of color something like that. I think that that's great. But I think that sometimes the message can be delivered and also received better um, when it's a white person asking another white person. Yeah. So Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That one's already on my reading list actually. So that's brilliant. I'm so glad. (laughs) And I'll link to that one in the show notes below. Um, So what are you currently working on Victoria and where can people go to find out a bit more about you? Well, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is divine feminine within. And uh, you can also hit up my website, which is my name, victorialeerussell.com. And as far as what I'm working on right now, I'm still coaching. I'm developing a workshop for women and women identifying people that's trauma-informed. And that will include a trauma-informed yoga sequence because I recently got my certification to teach trauma-informed yoga. I got my regular certification a number of years ago. Um, And so that workshop will include those yoga sequences as well as other healing modalities and meditation. And I'm on track to begin my master's program next year. 
Sounds beautiful. Sounds beautiful. And is there anything else that you want to add uh, for anyone who's considering a career pivot or, or starting a business? Absolutely. I want to reiterate that if you've thought about something more than mm, 10 times, you should probably try it out. And it's okay if whatever that thing is, is not permanent, or even if it's not something that you experience more than one time. It is just so important to send the message to our innermost selves that we are worthy and that the desires of our heart are worth listening to and to add voices, uh, especially successful voices that are not your own. I love it. Thank you so much, Victoria. It's been so beautiful speaking with you today. Uh, And I will definitely link to everything in the show notes as well, uh, including your Instagram and website. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk to you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. And if you loved this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review. You'll find a link to this episode and all of the show notes at becksands.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, make sure you sign up for my free weekly email newsletter where I share loads of practical advice for making your career pivot. Remember, you deserve to do work in the world that you love. Until next time, have an awesome day. I'm not gonna lie,